the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Now, let's get down to a story. This is a story of an anonymous young lady, but it could, in fact, be just about any young lady. Her name is Maricela. She was bullied all the way from the first to the fifth grade. She's currently in 11th grade at the age of 17. But the scars from all of those years of being a victim of bullying are still there. She writes, I was very quiet and shy kind of kid, so I guess that made me an easy target, and I was treated pretty much like dirt. I should mention that my dad passed away when I was six years old, and I was bullied for that as well. When I got a little bit older, I became depressed a lot, never really understood why. By the time I was 15, I became so depressed that I considered an attempted suicide. That story, of course, is becoming more and more common, and the news of late seems to be filled with terrible stories related to bullying. I guess the big compelling question tonight is, is society becoming meaner? Are kids nastier today than back in the day? Or have we just become so thin-skinned that even the slightest slight is considered an insult? And what of this topic of bullying, to the point of even kids considering suicide? Has bullying become so prevalent or severe, or do we need to give a second look at how we respond to the case of bullying? Joining me now is Brooks Gibbs, National Social Skills Educator. He is a best-selling author. His book, Love is Greater Than Hate. He's a pastor, mentor, husband, father of two boys, and joins us now. And Brooks, it's always great to have you on the program. Thanks, Craig. What of this matter? Um, certainly I recall bullies on campus when I was a kid. I will admit that I was a victim of a bully or two. Um, I never quite entirely fit in, probably my stunning good looks. <laughs> but I have to wonder, when we hear how prevalent bullying seems to be on campuses all across America and the severity of it, are, are we getting better reporting at this are we becoming thin-skinned, or are the means and methodology of bullying, like utilization of, of things like Facebook and the Internet, becoming so prevalent that it's just a lot easier for kids to pick on other kids? Uh, you know, bullying is sort of a new, newer term over the last century, but the human nature of being a jerk, a punk, a meanie, hurting feelings of others, you know, that's been around for millennia. Um, there's been absolutely no change in human nature, um, and the human nature is showing itself online, which is making it more prevalent. I think all of us can feel it in this culture. I think uh, 50 years ago, anger was a uh, really considered a vice. Uh, meanness was only to be brought out in the most critical circumstances where it called for it when you had to right a wrong or speak out against an injustice. But now anger and meanness has become a somewhat of a virtue in this nation. 
the more venomous your words, the more viral it becomes. So I think our moral compass in this nation has absolutely changed, uh, but the human nature has uh, been the same. In fact, Aristotle, 2,400 years ago, realized because of the venomous words of society, he says, you know, one thing government can never do is make its people moral. And uh, I think that's what we're trying to do with our legal approach to cracking down on bullying. We're trying to take, you know, make kids moral through character education or threatening them with punishments. And uh, Aristotle says it's not going to work. People are just going to be mean. So, yes, the best thing to do, let's toughen up our skin and let's make sure that we're kind no matter how people treat us. Now, we add a second later into this thing from the Christian perspective. I mean, we, we were exhorted, um, even by Christ himself, that we as Christians, as believers, as disciples, that we would be despised for his namesake. So persecution may be another word for bullying, certainly very normative from a biblical perspective, certainly nothing that should come as a surprise to us. And so a big part of this, as you point out, is is simply man's fallen sin condition. But I have to wonder, Brooks, in terms of, of your observation, and, and for the benefit of listeners, you have spoken and, and, and performed or, or appeared, rather, at rallies all across the country, junior high, high school level, middle school level, um, addressing this issue. You've had a chance to kind of serve as sort of a a sociologist, in a sense, of observing this kind of behavior, and, and not just the behavior, but our communities and society's response to same. And I'm wondering if part of this issue isn't the fact that maybe we're becoming a little bit hypersensitive here, uh, that we, we are working hard to try and shut down the bullies, yet as you aptly point out, the bullies have always been with us, probably in one form or another always will be. So are we failing our kids here and perhaps not giving them all the tools necessary to grow the so-called thicker skin, to be better prepared, to be despised for his namesake? You know, I I think so. I think we're uh, not communicating a complete message about words. We're only communicating a one-sided message. The vast majority of schools, and I've worked with over 1,500 schools, I've spoken to over 2 million students face-to-face, and uh, the vast majority of those schools have never even heard a message of resilience. They've only heard the message that words wound. And, you know, Craig, let me ask you, if you hear every day and certainly every week and, and you have posters all over your school that words wound, words hurt, words kill, words scar forever, you know, what is that going to do to you next time someone says a mean word? Uh, it, it seems to me that people, you know, the, the truth about words is, yes, they can hurt, but they don't have to. And, and words only have the power that I give them. So if someone's mean to me, I'm the one that decides whether I'm going to be upset or not. And that's the complete message of words that we need to communicate. In 1850, they called it, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And and people say that's a lie, but if they study the root of that old American colloquialism, they discover the African-American slaves came up with that phrase to teach their children not to let racism wound them emotionally. They can't help but a stick and a stone beating them, but a word, they have complete control whether that's going to penetrate their heart or not. That's a complete message about words. 
A lot of it really comes down to a matter of our perspective on this, our response to this. And and let's face it, you know, there's a degree to which we can try to educate kids to be kinder to each other and to not be so mean, not be so nasty, uh, be less inclined to harness the power of technology to bully. And yet we know by their very nature, their innate sin nature, they're going to do it anyway. So maybe the better approach ought to be to better prepare our children to better handle it. it, it it's like... The notion we've got a lot of rain going on here in Northern California uh, over the last several days. And so we could say, well, uh, we've got all this rain coming, so we should uh, just talk about how the rain is going to bury people underwater and how that's going to destroy homes. Well, you could certainly do that, and you would it would be very appropriate and correct in sharing those observations or, or engaging in conversation about that. But are you going to change anything? Or would it be smart to make your home as flood-resistant as possible? Maybe this is a case where we need to, as much as we try to, during a rainy season, make our homes flood-resistant, that we need to make our kids more bully-resistant. We're going to talk about that when we come back after a brief time. I'm out. If you've just joined us, Rooks Gibbs on the program today. We're opening up the phone lines. Parents listening, maybe you've got uh, yourself in an absolute knot in trying to deal with a bullying situation with one of your students, one of your children, and uh, you're contemplating going to the school authorities or you're trying to broker the peace between uh, your son or daughter and a a playmate and uh, you're trying to involve the other parents and you just don't know what to do, you're looking for answers, solutions, how can you help your kids better deal with the issue of bullying? As a parent, you probably know. If your child has been a victim or a target of bullying, or maybe you have suspicions, but you're you're not quite sure how to clarify all of this. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation. Brooks, is this becoming a bit of a pandemic, not only in terms of the reporting, but just in terms of the methodology by which bullies can carry out their bullying? And I asked that question because back in the day, it would be maybe an audience of a half a dozen kids and a bully getting engaging in whatever bad behavior that he or she was engaged with, but that was about the extent of it. Today, you can easily go online and extend your bullying of an individual the tune of hundreds or thousands. In fact, recently, Consumer Reports found that over 800,000 kids had been victims of bullying on Facebook. You know, I think the uh, the statistics that I've uh, seen is about 8% of students are relentlessly uh, victimized. And I think it's victimization, not necessarily bullying, but it's victimization that's becoming uh, an epidemic or pandemic. I, I just wish that... Um, I wish students would would not suffer. Um, and when you interview the so-called bullies, which I've I've met with hundreds and hundreds of students who have been uh, labeled as aggressors or bullies, and not, not one of them have said, "Yes, I'm a bully." Uh, and then I say, "Well, what in the world? Why did you say that to that person? Why did you do that to that person?" And they say, "Well, because she did this to me, and he did this to me." And I say, "Oh, so you don't see yourself as a bully?" You see yourself as a victim. They're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a victim. You know, these students who are so mean often feel justified in their retaliation of their perceived enemy, and they get labeled bullies. But when you talk to them in one-on-one conversation, 
they actually feel like victims. And the worst acts of violence in the world, whether it be homicide or suicide, the two very acts that we're afraid of in this industry, of anti-bullying industry, those are always committed by people who feel like victims, not bullies. It's almost a cycle then, isn't it? Because as you're describing it then, it is a person who feels as if they are a victim somehow, victimizing a victim, and it just begins as sort of an endless cycle. Yeah, it is, and that's why teaching very basic social skills to your children is uh, the greatest way to help bully-proof children. If you victim-proof them, you'll bully-proof them. And one way to do that, there's really three ways. Number one, uh, have a sense of humor. An emotionally healthy child can learn to take a joke about themselves and make a joke about themselves. They know they are not perfect, and they might have a flaw that could be exploited as a joke. And if you study humor, you realize all humor is insults, And so a person with a good sense of humor will be able to even insult themselves or be able to laugh at an insult of someone else. So, uh, you know, get off your high horse, parent, and uh, lighten up and laugh and teach your child to do the same, that we could all make fun of ourselves. Roasts, celebrity roasts are a great example of emotional healthiness. Uh, The second thing is um, learn that, um, you know, sometimes people consider you the bully and you've wronged them somehow. You really, really wronged them. And so they're mean to you. And so the best thing you could teach your child to do is say, why are you mad at me? And if I've done anything, can I apologize? That's the second thing. But the third and final thing is if someone's just trying to bully you just for the fun of it, realize that the only way they will continue is if you get upset and try to make them stop. But if you don't get upset and you give them permission to be a jerk and you say, feel free to be mean, I don't care. It doesn't affect me. You guard your heart and you don't get upset and you stop trying to stop them then they're going to get bored and leave you alone. And uh, the best example is a dog chasing its tail. If the dog, <laughs> the dog sees it moving in the corner of his eye and he's programmed to chase things to try to make it stop, and he ends up going in circles, never catching his tail, but if he could just realize to stop running, you know, and, uh, and the tail will stop, you know, leaving you, and the same thing with children. Stop trying to insist that the bully stops being mean and stop getting upset, and they'll fizzle and leave you alone. Those well, there's, and there's a bigger things. picture here, maybe, and, and I'm glad you brought up that analogy of the dog chasing its ch- tail because it, it seems as if we're trying to restrict this conversation, generally speaking, to bullying that takes place on playgrounds, on campuses. It's all about the kids. But you know what, Brooks? In, in my lifetime, I have known office bullies – I've known colleagues that I would consider to be bullies, not many of them, but they do exist out there. Uh, This kind of antisocial behavior, as we pointed out in the first segment, is really indicative of of man's fallen nature, of our sin condition, and not necessarily because of, of, you know, any kind of unique DNA to one individual or another that just makes them nasty toward other people. And so it would seem to me that if we take the approach that we're trying to stop mean people from being mean— and and trying to train our children to uh, uh, to react in that fashion, we're 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 creating a scenario where that dog is going to continue to chase its tail into adulthood. Because let's face it, how how, how are you going to deal with the bully in the office and the bully in the next cubicle? The, the irony here is that we're we're trying to offer a placebo to to address an issue in childhood because it makes us feel uncomfortable. But aren't we in the end? ill-preparing our kids for the reality of adult life? I think so. I think we should teach children that, hey, if someone's, um, if they're causing objective harm to your body or property, 
or if they're limiting your liberty, or they're causing you to lose your job, or they're beating you up to a bloody pulp, or they're stealing your stuff or vandalizing your property. Those are very real crimes that we have laws against, and we need to keep ourselves from being a very true acute victim. Uh, on the other hand, if they're just trying to hurt your feelings, um, you know, that's something that you can protect, that laws cannot protect. Um, and, and besides, if you said something that hurt somebody's feelings, would you like to be punished for that? Uh, the forefathers gave us the First Amendment right to free speech on the premise that the American citizens would have the, uh, the ironclad social skills to be able to take uh, a negative opinion about them or a different approach or disbelief in their religion or whatever it is so that everyone could be free to speak, which is the democratic cornerstone of all liberty. Uh, so if we lose that, if we lose the differentiation between objective harm and subjective harm, real crimes versus hurting our feelings, if that line becomes blurred, then we create a culture of victimhood. We create an emotional welfare state where the citizens believe the government's responsible to give them utopia without any negative social skills. And that is really the definition of emotional uh, illness. If you've just joined our conversation, Brooks Gibbs on the line with us tonight. We're talking about this topic of bullying and what exactly it is, how we are responding to it. We're hearing more and more news stories of late that have been filled with terrible stories of bullying uh, to the point where some kids, as we uh, shared one story of Maricela with you at the top of the hour, uh, considering committing suicide, attempting suicide over bullying. I'm not trying to suggest that some kids' behavior cannot be absolutely cruel, but at the same token, there seems to be a lack of balance that we're failing to strike here. How common is this issue of bullying? Oh, I'll give you an example that I think will resonate with you immediately. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It would be nice if we could say, let's try to shut down bullies. Let's do a better job at uh, dealing with aggressive behavior. But the reality is we can't always do that. And the reality is that the only one that we have any power or control over is ourselves. As we're learning tonight from Brooks Gibbs, National Social Skills Educator, he's taught more than 2 million students in some 1,500 schools and campuses all across North America how to better address this issue of bullying. And at the end of the day, it really becomes not trying to foster this culture of kindness and singing kumbaya with our enemies, but rather understanding that the, at the end of the day, it will be better if we did a better job at developing our kids to become more resilient. Speak to that point, would you, Brooks? Well, resilience is something every parent wants for their child. If you ask any parent, would you like your child to be emotionally resilient or hypersensitive to things that don't cause them physical harm, like insults and stuff, they would always say, oh, yeah, like emotionally resilient. But when their child becomes a victim of, quote-unquote, bullying, mean behavior, uh, they don't like the idea that we are asking their child to become more resilient. They want you to punish the bully, kick the bully out of school. And so what happens is when you suggest emotional resilience as the solution to their child's bullying problems, uh, they say you're victim blaming. 
And I, I, I always say, no, we're not victim blaming. You know, earlier, Craig, you said it's pouring rain right now. You know, it's not, it's not anyone's fault that the rain is falling. But if you own a house, it's your responsibility to make sure that it's rainproof. Uh, you have to take personal responsibility. If it snows, it's not your fault. No one can blame you for, do, for not doing something you didn't mean to do, right? It's snowing. You, it's outside of your control. But it's your responsibility to shovel the sidewalk. Now, uh, that is what we're asking students to do. Take personal responsibility for your own feelings and your own problems, and uh, don't expect everyone around you to be respectful. Uh, and when you do that, you'll be less, vic- you'll less likely to be victimized and more likely to... Uh, be happy. You suggested earlier, Brooks, that one of the more effective techniques in addressing this is to use humor uh, to sort of, um, how should we say, derail any of the control that a bully has over another person in in, in responding. And, I, and it, it's interesting that you mention that because I think of the, the scripture mandate that we should, um, uh, you know, uh, love our enemy and in doing so, have the effect of heaping coals upon their head. But we're not asked to heap coals upon our, our, their head. We're asked to love our enemy. So give me an example. Let's do some role play, playing here so parents can better understand how this works. You suggested returning humor for a nasty word. So if I came up to you and we're on the campus at school and uh, we just walked up and I said to you, uh, Brooks, where did you get that haircut? It looks like they put a ball on top of your head. If I was a typical kid, I would say, what are you talking about? You better stop it right now, Craig. You better stop right now. And, and then, of course, you'd call the teacher over, and the teacher would come yeah. and report, and yeah. we'd all but have to meet I in the principal's office. Right. If you, so say that now to me, uh, and I'll respond with a, with a comment that's humorous, to your point. Brooks, where did you get that haircut? It's so ugly, it looks like somebody put a bowl over your head. Oh, you you don't like this? Is my tribute to Jimmy Neutron, man? It's like a first cartoon guy. <laughs> and I got to tell uh, listeners so, that was not rehearsed. That was completely no. spontaneous. <laughs> so I mean, humor is amazing. You know, uh, humor. It's even you don't even have to be that sophisticated. Some people say, well, you know what. Uh, my kid isn't that sophisticated. He's not going to be able to come up with a punchline. Well, you know, it's very interesting. Bill Cosby, he's a legendary comedian, and he wrote a book called So. And the concept was if someone says, hey, little Bill, your mom's poor, he would just reply with, so? Hey, little Bill, y'all live in a shack. So? He would just reply, so, or the word and, your point is, and. That's humorous, man. And that that takes all the uh, the power away from the individual who's trying to upset you. So it really is about taking the weapon of words away from them, disarming them. If they if they realize that you're not going to play the game, uh, you, you, you de-escalate the situation quite rapidly, don't you? Oh, totally. You nailed it, man. If, someone, if everyone's just listening for a second and they want to know what bullying is, anywhere in the world that's doing seminars on bullying, they always say the same thing. Bullying is an imbalance of power. Someone's having power over you. Power to do what? power to drive you crazy. And as long as you keep getting upset, you're giving them power over you. But the second, I mean the second, you could care less about what they say, you give them freedom to be mean, who cares, and you respond with kindness or humor or whatever, 
then you maintain your power. They feel like losers, and they leave you alone. It's that simple. And the reality is the bully is looking for a rise. The bully is looking for a certain type of reaction. They want to get under your skin. They want to irritate you. They want to make you cry. They want to, um, they want to extract out of you some kind of a negative reaction. If you react positively, if you, if you return humor or kindness for their nastiness, uh, what are they going to do to retaliate? Start being nice to you? Well, I guess that's the only option left. Well, uh, at, at the very least, they'll leave you alone, but at the very most, they'll be nice to you. That's why the golden rule is the ancient solution to the modern bullying problem. It says uh, treat others not the way they're treating you, but treat others the way you want to be treated. And people are like, why? Well, because we're biologically wired for reciprocity, and as I'm nice to you, you're going to naturally want to be nice to me. So, yeah, the golden rule is genius. Jesus says on that one law, you know, love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself— and he says the golden rule in that is all the law and the prophets. Uh, so I think we need to bring back the golden rule. Now, let's make a distinction here. You're not suggesting that if it turns violent, if it becomes an illegal act, I mean, for example, kids posting terrible things on the Internet, things of that sort, you do mm-hmm. draw the line at certain types of bullying behavior, correct, in terms of the response. Yeah, so the golden rule in love allows you to stop people from committing crimes. So it's a very loving thing to uh, stop someone from shooting up a theater or something terrible like that. It's, it's the loving thing to do is to stop that person from damaging. Uh, but that's, that's, yeah, criminal behavior that's causing objective harm to body or property. But if it's just subjective feelings, meaning my feelings are hurt if they're subject to how I process it, how I think about those words, well, then, as Eleanor Roosevelt said, no one can make you feel inferior without your permission. Well, that can't be a crime, and that's where you can respond love, and, and, and love uh, never fails. Let's talk about resources, Brooks, because I know a lot of this information is new. This has not been the traditional approach to bullying in, in recent years, and, of course, the irony is as hard as school districts and administrators have tried to push this whole let's just stop the bullies uh, the irony is they seem to become more prevalent, so clearly a lot of that pr- approach is not working. But in terms of resources for parents, so they can get a better handle on um, you know, h- how to encourage their kids to do a better job at making friends, managing their enemies, uh, how, to, how to deal with the issue of aggressive behavior when someone comes at you, and then most importantly, how to build resilient kids, what kind of resources can you make available? You bet. We have what we call the one-week bully cure. That's B-U-L-L-Y, bully, and then cure, C-U-R-E. If you go to bullycure.com, we literally take the parent and we take the student and we take them through a one-week, six days uh, uh, video training. And we say, man, if if that bullying doesn't stop within that six days, you can have your money back. Uh, You know, we we failed to help you. And uh, we've helped thousands and thousands of people within three days just going through our program. It's over. It's done. You know, the child has happiness. The parent has peace. Uh, because when the child's suffering, the parent suffers just as much. And so uh, that's what we've created, BullyCure.com. And, of course, the beauty of this is it's not only preparing our kids to become more resilient in the here and now, but every adult listening, you know. You run across them all the time. People that you work with or next-door neighbors all across life. We run into people that fit that bully profile. Maybe it's not as juvenile as the example of what took place on the campus when you were in third grade, 
But the source of the behavior, the motivation behind the behavior, the acting out comes from the same place. It's just taking in a bit of taking place in a bit of a different form. So we're really talking about better preparing our kids not only to deal with bullies today, but to deal with bullies later on in life as well. Bullycure.com is the website. Bullycure.com, great resource for you. We thank Brooks Gibbs for being with us on the program tonight. And again, a wonderful resource. I want to encourage you, if you have a parent who, who has a student that's dealing with this issue, you need some, some insight and advice, great place to check out, bullycure.com. That's bullycure.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome to Healing Habits with Dr. John Duong of the Holistic Health Center. On today's edition, we talk about some of the top six reasons why people are forced to quit work and go out on permanent disability. Well, you might guess what the top two of the six are. Arthritis and back pain and or lower neck pain. In fact, chronic back, neck, and leg pain accounted for more than 264 million lost work days last year alone. If you're one of those, stay tuned. We'll offer some insights on how to finally get the relief you seek. Dr. Dong, when you hear those statistics of how many people suffer from arthritis, neck pain, lower back pain, debilitating to the point where Americans lost a combined total of 264 million workdays last year alone, it's shocking. Wow, that can be solved so easily. Let's talk about some of the steps that are necessary in solving. And I guess the first step is to first and foremost ascertain what's the source of the pain. How do you go about determining that? The source of pain, of course, technology will uh, help us to identify the, the true underlying cause of it. But in reality, if you look at, like, if, if you have neck pain um, and then you have an X-ray and, um, and then your symptoms will be, like, if you have a neck problem, your symptoms will be going down to your arm, tingling, numbness in your arm, or headaches. Look at your X-ray. Look at your MRI. Where is the location of the problem? Usually, it's going to be C4, C5, C5, C6. How about in the lower back? It's always the pattern that we have to catch and find out the cause of the problem. How about lower back? The lower back is going to be L4, L5, L5, S1. Those are the most degenerative discs, bulging discs, herniated discs, degenerative discs. That's a disc problem. Also arthritis, like the actual bone that is growing. What, is, what does it cause when you're, you have bulging discs? It's the stenosis. In the low back, it's more the stenosis. It's narrowing of the canal. It's called for our canal stenosis, for laminal stenosis. It's narrowing. So bottom line is that the cause of the pain is two things. is pressure on the nerve and on the bone, and then also infl- inflammation of that. So if we have ways to solve it, then we can help a lot of people. To what degree is this sort of degeneration normative as we age? And I'm thinking about effects of things like time and age and maybe sports injuries or gravity all impacting us. Some people sort of resign themselves to the notion that they're forever going to be taking pain pills to address this issue. But my impression is that that's not necessarily the right perspective. No, aging is always part of it. We can degenerate very fast or a normal process of aging so that we don't have to live in pain. 
So the way that a lot of people uh, degenerate faster and they have excruciating pain, press on the nerve um, that going down to their arms or their feet is because of the increasing of the pressure, the loading pressure on the disc so that it just it degenerates faster, okay? And then the way that we have to solve it is to reducing the pressure on the disc, on the bones, and reducing the inflammation. So there's there's way there's techniques that we can do that. Now this kind of runs contrarian to, and most people listening that suffer from lower back pain or neck pain will bear me out on this. That traditionally the approach has been: you come in, you complain about where the particular area of pain seems to be. The doctor will prescribe you pain medication, maybe anti-inflammatories. There might be a prescription for a period of physical therapy, and then immediately they jump to things like invasive surgery, fusing the spine, things of that sort. It seems to me, though, that that's an awful quick rush to surgery, which oftentimes can create more damage than it actually occurs. That's why um, a lot of people have the surgery, and then they will have a fusion surgery later on. The reason is that you never solve the problem. Your force is still there, the loading force. I keep seeing the loading force that's creating the pressure on the disc, herniated disc, bulging disc, okay, degenerative disc. If it's on bone, it's going to be arthritis, extra bone that's growing. Okay, that's the loading force that's creating the pressure. Surgery would not solve that problem. The surgery would just cut off the nerve so it doesn't press, uh, cut off the disc or cut off the bone. It, it never solves uh, reducing the pressure. So we need to help the patient to understand how to reducing the pressure of the disc of, on the bone so it doesn't uh, cause continued degenerations uh, of the person and then also reducing the inflammations. So inflammation is a cause of a lot of pain. So we have to know ways of doing that. Some examples of inflammation is like people with diabetes, the chance there will be inflammation that will affecting their low back autoimmune conditions like psoriasis, RA, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, uh, that's RA, um, lupus. So that's the inflammatory process that causes inflammations that de- can degenerate um, your spine faster. So in your practice, is it frequent to discover a patient who comes in complaining of chronic lower back pain or neck pain that maybe has been diagnosed with degenerative uh, discs, and then you find out after a thorough examination that there are other things that are contributory, like you mentioned, things such as arthritis or diabetes? Now we are living in a toxic world. So yes, that's always the case. It's not just that the low back anymore. It's also the, the eating habit that's causing it, the disease that's causing it, the other disease that's causing inflammation, like I said, immune system. Now people have a hard time like sleeping. They're having a hard time like going to the bathroom, constipation or diarrhea, the brain is inflamed. So there is multiple things that cause the inflammatory process. So we need to find ways of helping the patients to reduce inflammation, eating appropriately. So now they can fix their pain in their neck or in the back or any in any part of the body. So you're really taking a step back then and looking at multiplicity of potential causal forces that are all contributory toward the patient's complaint, my back hurts. But there's oftentimes a lot more going on behind the scenes. And sadly, and quite frequently, doctors fail to fully diagnose this, or if they diagnose it, 
medicine is the only answer they have to try and cure it. You have some procedures that you have developed down through the years in a holistic approach that not only harnesses healthy lifestyle, healthy living, healthy eating, but modern technology to help relieve a lot of the causal forces and ultimately lead people into a pain-free lifestyle. Talk a little bit about your approach and using many of these non-invasive, non-surgical procedures to offer people a life free from pain. The only way that we can solve chronic conditions is your own body. You have to heal from within. That's how you fix the chronic pain or any chronic disease that you have is yourself, your body. How do you fix the bodies? Okay, like, let's, let's get me in, in, in the example so that uh, the audience will understand. If you have um, low back pain, herniated disc, bulging disc stenosis, that, uh, that gives pressure on the nerve, it can go down into your leg, or it's just at the back pain only, or I have even have patients that say, I don't have back pain anymore, I just have a leg pain. Or numbness, numbness in, the hands. In, in the hands or in the feet, okay? So there's this issue. So now what we need to do is that we need to find out where, what's the reason, what's the reasoning behind it. So you need to take a little history, understand is there a loading force that's causing the degenerative, the bulging disc, the stenosis on the neck and on the lower back. The neck is what, C4, C5, C5, C6, lower back L4, L5, L5, S1. Okay, so the, those are the area that we're looking at. Is there a loading force on it? The X-ray, the MRI will always confirm that for us. So we know the area of the loading force that's causing the issue. Second, that we need to understand the person. There's a way that you need to find out is that are you going to the bathroom frequently? You, that's the way that you detox, right? You have to look, help the patient to understand they're sleeping. And you have to understand the oxygens. Oxygens makes the body more alkaline. That's chemistry right there. What do you do frequently to reduce uh, the loading force? Do you have a healing habits? Is the habits that you need to create to reduce that pressure? So I developed a two pumps exercise that I ask my patients, whenever you feel the loading on your back or on your neck, what you need to do is that you need to do this exercise to reduce the pressure immediately so it doesn't build up. Like pressure do build up. That's why you degenerate. Why do you degenerate the low back? It's not just one time. It's throughout the years that you cause the herniated disc, bulging disc, arthritis on the, on the back. So you have to have a healing habits of that. And, and then, when a patient comes in then for your consultation and for a thorough examination, you're, it's really a multi-point then exam. You're looking at not what's only going on within the arena of pain, be it the lower back or the neck, but then counting every other potential contributory factor. Yes, of course. Anything can contribute. The emotion can, can contribute in your muscles being tight. So it's the, uh, it's the multiple approach, how to help the body to heal from within. So understanding the body, understanding where's the weakness, and then supporting the body so the body can heal. We talked about technology. Technology is just wonderful. Like we have the five-point therapy. We have the latest technologies in terms of reducing the pressure on the lower back, allowing the disc to heal, having the white nutrients into the disc and heal, reducing the pressure. Um, and then there's also the like lasers, uh, cold lasers um, technology that's helped the patients to heal better. But it's the white approach, it's the timing aspect of it, the experience, and then also working with the patients, guiding the patient, 
so that they can feel good. The key words I would say to the patient is that the therapy that we do, you have to feel good. The exercise, the habits that you create, you have to feel good. When you feel good, your body is be more relaxed. When your body is relaxed, that's how your body heals. Can you estimate for us, doctor, how many patients that come in complaining of chronic back pain, lower neck pain, arthritis, who have been on medication perhaps for years to try and mitigate some of the pain, go through your procedures, begin to implement these daily healing habits that you've spoken of, and then are able to eventually become not only pain-free, but painkiller-free? Any idea what the percentage looks like? My patients, when they do exactly what they said, their success rate is just tremendous. And I prefer not to give it numbers because I'm not God. I don't do the healing with the patient. When the patient is doing their work, my coaching, their success rate is tremendous because I believe the body can heal itself. And the patients, when they follow through the process, their success rate is going to be very high because their body can heal from within. There's such a high percentage of people today that are frustrated with living with chronic debilitating pain every single day that not only perhaps impacts your ability to, to live, to enjoy life, to even engage in performing daily tasks. If this describes you and you're at wit's end, there's a very special offer that Dr. Duong is offering at this moment through the Holistic Health Center. If you call today, Dr. Duong is offering a $47 consultation for the first eight callers who qualify, and all you need to do is call 510-818-1668. That's 510-818-1668. And Dr. Duong, I understand that this complete examination and consultation that you're offering for only $47 is typically a $287 value. Yes. I want to see if I can help you. And you, you have been living in pain for a long period of time, so now is the time to find out, is there a solution to solve your chronic pain? And the good news is you don't have to live with pain anymore. To get more information, again, the telephone number to call is 510-818-1668. That's 510-818-1668. For a limited time, Dr. Duong is offering a $47 consultation for the first eight callers who qualify. So call today the Holistic Health Center at 510-818-1668. That's 510-818-1668. Also, lots of wonderful resources and teaching videos available online at Dr. DuongLive.com. That's DrDuongLive.com. Doctor, we appreciate you coming in today, and we hope for all of our listeners that more and more they'll begin to develop healing habits. Thank you, Craig. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.